We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three! One, two, three! Keep pounding! Panthers fans, welcome back to another edition of the Roar podcast brought to you by Blue Wire. It's John Ellis here along with my friend Billy Marshall. We are here to give you a little uh, real talk after Carolina drops a disappointing game at home to Philadelphia. Sort of an inexplicable loss in a lot of ways. We're going to try to give you some of our perspective on what happened, what went wrong, and where they are right now moving forward. Billy Marshall, what's going on? Man, that was, uh, I don't know, that game really just broke me in so many more ways than one, and I blame myself for that more than anything. Well, you know, that, that tends to happen when we follow this team every once in a while. We, we, we hit the wall with these losses, and we have expectations, and I, I think you and I had certain expectations for this team that were a little more, um, I guess, realistic than, than others. But I think we both thought this game would be a little easier for Carolina to maneuver, particularly on offense. And, hey, I'll just start with you. Let's open it up. I mean, what the hell happened? I mean, that was just such an inexplicable loss. Like, I really don't even know where to start. But one thing I will not be doing on the show, and I'll let you handle this if you want, I have no interest in discussing any issues or problems with the defense. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I mean, they played, as far as I can tell, a flawless game. I I really think so. One play, just one play, that long third down play to Quez Watkins was the only mistake. And I just think that was, uh, Philadelphia schemed it up really well. They had a trips on one side and they called a, a post route by the inside receiver and get a matched up against a safety. That's going to happen. I just think uh, credit goes to them for scheming that up well, but I'm I'm not going to criticize the defense for that performance. I mean, they've we, we what do we say in the spaces? Can this defense generate turnovers? They did. Yeah. They kept Hurts in the pocket. They didn't really let him scramble too much. I mean, I know you know in the red zone or in the 
you know, short part of the field. He let, they let him score, like whatever that happens. But I'm talking about those long scrambles. Never let it happen. So for me, I have the absolute, you know, top of the line, like praise and encouragement for the defense after getting humiliated in Dallas, they responded. So I'm, uh, they are getting zero criticism from me. Yeah, there's not much to talk about defensively. I'm, I want to get to Matt Rule's comments. Yeah, that's the big story of the day here, it seems, at least on Twitter, on Sports Talk Radio. Um, we, we need to break that down a little bit. But I will say this about the defense. Look, we talked about takeaways. They got two consecutive takeaways on back-to-back plays for the second year in a row, and they lose the game, okay? They also do a great job, uh, you know, getting two points on defense. Obviously, they could jump on that, but, hey, that's a freebie. I'm not going to knock their balls over that one. That's just one of those plays the ball squirts out. That's two points for the defense. Good job by them backing them up and putting them in that situation in the first place. Dante looks nice out there. I know there was a coverage issue down the field with Watkins. You and I talked about Quez. I mean, this is a guy that could take the top off, and they gave – Philadelphia enough chances off uh, talking about Carolina's offense, putting the defense back on the field to where that play was available. And I just think you're, you're spot on. You look at the metrics, you look at where they have come since last week. Philadelphia did some explosive things too. And a couple of weeks prior, sometimes uh, we lose sight of that. This is not a bad offense. They're just a little bit imbalanced and you're right. They did a good job of maintaining contain on Hertz. He didn't get loose until the end, and that was the short field. So, yeah, I have no interest in that either. Good job, Phil Snow. Good job, defense, especially missing your starting safety with Burris, your starting inside linebacker with Shaq Thompson or your uh, weak side linebacker with Thompson. You know, I, I can't crap on Phil Snow at all. But, but Billy, let, let's talk about Matt Rule a little bit. Uh, you and I had spoke a little bit about this yesterday during the game on, on Twitter, doing our little analysis during the game. And, you know, Matt didn't manage this game well. And this is something that we've talked about before. Uh, we'll get to that. But his comments today, I just thought were, were just they, – it, it was a bad look. I mean, look, where, whether he's telling his guys in the locker room defensively, hey, I got your back, I got your back, but I've got to go out there and pull a Bill Parcells and bust your balls. I don't know what the thinking there is. But in that presser, just for those who haven't heard it, and Billy has the clip on his Twitter there, you know, this is twice that he went out of his way to call the defense out during this presser while going out of his way to making it sound like a team loss when, yeah, technically it is, but defensively <laughs> this, they, they put Carolina's offense consistently in winning situations. There was a blocked punt late. I didn't hear a lot of analysis on that from Matt, but you know, look, I'll turn it over to you, Billy. I just think this coach needs to do a couple things better here in his second season. Number one, he needs to manage games a little more fundamentally sound as a pro coach and do things with a little more aggression at times, and, and do it smart. Maybe that, that end of the half thing really peeves me. And then second of all, the messaging just needs to be cleaner. I'll turn it over to you, Bill. No, you're 1,000% you're spot on. We'll leave the press conference stuff here. Uh, we'll deal with that shortly. But to me, I mean, the game management issues, this is an issue that came up last season and you and I kind of just, we didn't brush it off. We mentioned it, that this is an area that he has to grow under. He has to get better at managing an NFL game. It was his first season last year. Um, he d- had the benefit of not having fans. So he can kind of maybe really think about what he's trying to do, but still he made a lot of mistakes and maybe going into year two, he can figure out some of those mistakes and they would play a lot more 
um, at least the game management will be much cleaner because like, what is he doing during the games? He's not calling plays on offense or defense or special teams. Like you, like the thing that just like drives me nuts about like NFL head coaches. And this isn't just a problem, like isolated to him though. Uh, for him, it's different because he's not really calling plays, like I said. But it's just like so much of like a, a guy like Bill Belichick's success has been just acting competently. And that's how he's kind of, especially on game days. Now, I'm sure he has a lot of strategic tendencies that come up you know, during the week where he game plans. But during the game, like why don't these coaches just act no- like just make normal decisions? I'm not, I'm not asking him to go for it and fourth down every single opportunity. But what I am saying, though, is just clean up some of the messes that are occurring. The pre-snap timeouts, the just like some of the just ridiculousness of the false starts in your home stadium. I mean, from yeah. an organizational standpoint, uh, on the field at least, this should be somewhere where you have this CEO head coach, he knows how to you know, dictate these decisions. And uh, to me, like, I, I don't really see a big difference between him and Ron Rivera or John Fox, as far as that, you know, standing on the sideline and, and making decisions to, um, you know, enhance the opportunities you have to win the game. I'm just not seeing it. And again, I, I'm not asking him to go out there and be Brandon Staley. I'm not, I'm not asking him to go for every fourth down. I'm asking him to go for a few here and there. Yeah. But some of the decisions that I'm just, it just boggles my mind. And it's the same thing. I can honestly, I don't even want to go through each of them because there's like at least five from yesterday that just pissed me off. But I mean, every week it's the same thing. And that's just the most discouraging part about all of it because he had a season to prepare. So it's not a rookie. So he should be cleaned up on this aspect and it's just not happening. 1000%. I mean, here's the thing, you know, uh, what, what, what gets me, you know, the, the, the presser, we're going to get to that. And it's important to touch on this because messaging is important. It's important to set the right tone to the media, to the fans. And these players, I'm sure they have meetings. Like I said, you know, maybe internally they had a discussion about where he feels the defense is. But I think he's a pretty honest guy in these pressers. And I, I think he's speaking from the heart when he says he was disappointed in the defense. Now, you can say that all day long, but you also have to look from within. I know he mentioned coaching being a problem in the presser. And to that yeah, point, I, I, and I, and we need to be fair about that. I mean, he did take some accountability there. But more important than taking accountability is just making, like you said, good, rational decisions within the game, burning early timeouts, not having the proper communication to, to get these calls in when you need to. I, I think I go back to, again, and I know you were a little bit peeved about this too, I didn't like that sequence before halftime. I mean, they get. Oh the my gosh, that was get, ridiculous. Let, let me just walk you through it real quick. They get the safety, of course. For those who didn't see the game, and and fortunately for those out there who didn't, you you missed an ugly one here. Um, they they get the safety, okay. And right before halftime, Carolina has an opportunity with looks like two twenty one left. They go Hubbard left guard two yards. Okay, fine. You're up to the thirty seven. Hubbard gashes him for nine, so you're getting close to midfield there. First and 10, no timeout, no huddle. So you're rushing a little bit. Hubbard gets eight more, fine. And then you run outside right after that. No huddle, no timeout with 122, five-yard loss. And again, third and seven, pass short to Anderson, out of bounds, five yards. They're two yards short. There's 39 seconds left in the half. 
and they decide to punt from the 46. And I didn't like that, and here's why. Number one, you have one of the best defenses in the NFL right now. They're playing maybe their best game of the season to that point. At, at one point, Jalen Hurts, I, I believe, had 18, 19 pass attempts and under 50 net yards passing in the first half. They're not moving the ball. There's no momentum whatsoever. That's a statement moment as a team where if you feel you have the horses to line up and the quarterback to operate in a fourth and two, do it. I still, in that situation, the, the sequencing and the play calling I didn't like, um, that's one issue. Number two, fourth and 246, you punt the ball. You don't net a lot of yardage out of it. You get it down to the 16. Charlton did not have a great game, by the way. So you net, you know, what, 25 yards on that punt, and that gives them life. On the other hand, if you can trust your team to get two yards in a midfield situation with all the momentum and all the, the favor on your side at that point in terms of the way you're dominating the game on the stat sheet, get the two yards. At the very least, you can milk the clock down if you're not comfortable or get a field goal attempt late, stretch the lead. But they did not create distance. They left them hanging around. And look what Philadelphia does with 31 oh seconds. Oh, my goodness. They march let's, down the let's... field and get a 58-yarder. Elliott's got a great leg. We knew that was a possibility. So, again, I just felt that was an opportunity with Matt in year two. With all the analytics, all the talk about trusting your players, that shows to me there's a bit of a lack of trust from Matt to this yeah, unit. It's not even, it, uh, yeah, obviously, I – I think the, there's a couple of different models out there. One of them said that uh, it was a bad decision to punt. Another one said it was 50-50. But, I mean, we should know by now this season, this is a trend with him. He's just not going to go for it. And I don't really think – I'm glad you mentioned the lack of trust uh, part. But, you know, to me, this isn't just about analytics. This is just about common sense. You want to create distance between you and your opponent. You don't – like th this idea – that you should take the game into the fourth quarter and make one more play. What the heck is going on? I, I he, was, he prefaced I that fun. statement by saying that I've said this to you guys a hundred times. Want to take this game into the fourth quarter, make one more play. I mean, bro, like how many close losses does this team have the past two years? Why would you put yourself in that position? You know, end the game in the third quarter, like blow a team out. Look at Tampa. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously you, you're not Tampa, but they've, the game was over by the third quarter. It was like 38 to 17. They were up on uh, Miami. That's yeah. how you, that's how a good team ends games. Yeah. You're not, I mean, Dallas ended the game in the third quarter last week. And obviously they sat a bunch of their players and they barely, they didn't barely hang on. They hung on for a one score win, but still I'd rather just play from, you know, up three possessions going into the fourth quarter than up nine points. Yeah. Because to me, that just that is just a crazy idea that you want to push the game until the fourth quarter and then make one more play. So I'm not reading that out of context. He no, said that. You're not. No, no, no. You're being very fair. And again, the energy of that game was swinging in Carolina's direction based on everything that had happened up to that point with the defense playing great. They got the safety. That that's where you. And again, they put DJ Moore back there, which I don't like. But he gets a decent. Yeah, that was weird. I, you, you stay away from that, please. He's your best receiver on the field right now. Do not Especially on that surface. And, you know, by the way, Erickson was doing a great job returning, so I don't, I don't understand what the problem was there, but anyway. Oh, okay, we'll get to special teams in a bit. Yeah, that, that's a whole other conversation. But here's the thing, you know, you, I know there's a lot of conversations about those who don't believe in momentum, those who don't believe in, in the shift swing there. I, you know, whatever. I just look at it as Carolina's playing with a lot of energy at that point. Defensively, they've just given their team two points. Offensively, this is a great opportunity with great field position. 
And that's where you have to put your foot on their neck, especially against a team like Philadelphia that has a couple of very good interior defensive linemen and plays some fundamental sound football in the back end at times. But overall, this is an inferior team, I think. I just, I, I really do. But it came down to matchups, and we'll get to that too. It only takes a couple bad matchups to wreck a game, and, and it did for Carolina. But bad coaching doesn't help. And I just think Matt's got a way to go here. As far as Joe Brady goes, I know we'll get to this too. I just, you know, I, I got a hold of the tape, Billy, and I started watching it. And I just wanted to reiterate here that, you know, again, you can blame Joe Brady for some things here. Maybe he was too much in love with Teddy. Maybe he was a part of the Darnold sweepstakes and really wanted him. I don't know how involved he was in that. But I'm telling you right now, he's not in charge of personnel decisions the way Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer are. And he didn't design this offensive line as it is. These were not his guys. I don't believe he probably had some input. He's given this offensive line to work with. He's given this quarterback to work with. He's doing the best he can, I think, in terms of designing concepts to aid Sam Darnold. It's just Sam, and we're going to get to Sam here. He's not very good, Billy. He's just not. And I think that gets right back to where Matt is conservatively. You mentioned John Fox. Yeah, look, I've talked about Matt Rule reminding me of John Fox, and I, I'm not tooting my horn here because I think there are some fundamental differences in these two guys. But when it comes to playing conservative, he, he even did the pooch field goal that Foxy used to do. Again, you know, I'm going to hold what I think about the special teams here in a second. Just to put a cap on that, I think it, it, it come, it's, it's, it's all one big piece of the puzzle that comes together. They don't trust this interior offensive line. They don't trust this quarterback. They don't trust being aggressive in key situations. And I, I think that's a big part of where they are in terms of where Matt maybe feigns away from in that situation going forward. But I still think defensively, they gave them a short field. They gave them two free points. It's a golden opportunity to give Sam some great experience in his first season to command a drive down the field. And uh, they, they punted the ball on fourth and two from right around midfield. And I just thought that was a big play in the game, much like the Zane Gonzalez missed field goal was in the second half last week. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, like – well, speaking of players who actually played well, Zane Gonzalez actually. Yeah. Some kudos. <laughs> what about um, Zane? Yeah. So, no, you're 1,000% spot on, man. You have to just create distance between you and your opponents. You have to step on the jugular. You can't just allow the, the situation. Like, I don't know what he's trying to study as far as the third quarter mistakes go. Like, I just, I don't, I, like, I mean, do whatever studies you need to do. Um, but um, I mean, to me, everything is just fundamental football at that point. Like you just have to come out there and really attack. I mean, Philadelphia is not doing anything exotic nope. from a defensive standpoint. They are playing two high shells cover two, and there are ways to beat that. There are so many cover two beaters. Like I can go through like a list of like 300 websites where you can find cover two beaters i just posted and, one and they, exactly that smash concept the first yeah. interception that's a cover two beater and let me just say one more thing about everyone who's criticizing the oc go to um uh, philadelphiaeagles.com writer uh he does a spectacular job covering the eagles and doing a lot of access to nose it's a uh, fran duffy um, he posted uh, some of Hargrave and Cox's production on his Twitter timeline. And he specifically says in, in those videos that Carolina slide protection to, they tried to slide protection towards Cox's direction and towards Hargrave's direction. At that point, it's one-on-one with the uh, other guy who's not being 
with the other guy who's going to have a one-on-one opportunity where the opposite's um, direction of where they're sliding. So if they sl- slid towards Hargrave's direction, Fletcher Cox gets a one-on-one with one of the guards, either Miller or Daly. And Cox and Hargrave, they just like dominated them. And, and it's just like, yeah. I mean, at that point, you have to understand, okay, as, as a quarterback, I'm not a quarterback. I don't, I, I don't know the fundamentals of it. I, I don't want to pre- preface this by saying that, you know, I, I could do a better job or you and I could just, none of that, okay? What I think is this. You have to be aware of your surroundings. When you have a situation where an interior defensive tackle is in a one-on-one situation and they've been abusing you all game, make sure that you figure out a way to adjust your presence in the pocket. Mm-hmm. And that that can really, that, I mean, I don't think that's too difficult if you have like, like an innate sense of um, feel because like it just, it's getting a little too old to just consistently just blame the offensive line. And trust me, you and I have been blaming this offensive line for God knows how many months now it's, it's just getting tiring. But to me, you had opportunities in that game. I thought it was schemed up. Well, I thought they did a fine job scheming up their protection concepts as I've been you know, seeing on the timeline too. So I think it just comes down back to the quarterback and he just, you know, he's getting it done. I mean, we criticized Bridgewater for this last year and I think it's only fair to criticize Darnold at this point too, because you have a, I mean, just step on their throat, man, end this game when you should. And then 21 to 18, I mean, it's first and 20. Yes. Take the check down option. Why are you forcing that throw to uh, Robbie Anderson? uh, Who's, covered really well like just take exactly. what you can get and it's just like it's becoming uh very concerning the level of quarterback play that i'm i've been witnessing the past two games because i mean let's be honest he couldn't play what he essentially his turnovers lost a game in, in dallas and last week or the yesterday at least those three turnovers were backbreakers they were i'm, I'm looking at the tape right now bill you're talking about that that last turnover he had um, late in the game. And, and look, they, they, you mentioned the, the bit of a check down here. He missed Ian wide open on that little curl route early in the drive around the 30. And then on the interception, again, I'm, I'm looking at it here, and I looked at the dots version of it again last night. And there was a penalty as well, too, before that. But they had Thomas on sort of a, a seam route. It, I don't know if it was a check down. I, I can't remember. I'm trying to find the tape. But they had Ian open. The raw concept here, he's wide open on a sit route right inside the 30 that would have gotten them near the sticks. And they just, again, forced it. Um, he did make a nice throw to Robbie there, and that was nice on that drive. But again, they shouldn't have never been in that situation. I mean, that's the frustrating part. I, I think when you go back to that first interception, one one Twitter follower that, that I follow, Honest NFL, who does, I think, some pretty good work out there. Looks like he's a former league guy and, and puts out a lot of good content, smart guy out there had talked about, you know, Sam on that first interception, not really recognizing a couple of things there. Number one, Hargrave is not in the game at that point. So, you know, interior, you probably have a little better chance of riding the pocket. Um, and, you know, the pressure on that first pick was there. Moten did get bullied a little bit. But, Billy, you know, Josh Norris posted these last night. You saw them. We talked about it. There was a pocket to climb there. And Sam scanned left first did not see the safety rotating and did not anticipate the depth from Darius Slay. 
And in that position, the interceptions happen. Situationally, though, backed up, making a turkey hole type of shot there is just ill-advised. And it's just another example of, of Sam feeling like sometimes mentally he's playing in quicksand. It just looks slow. Yeah, I have no idea why he thinks that was a good idea. If you're gonna, uh, I mean, I don't know. I thought the play call was fine, but you, uh, you have, there's no business. You have no business trying to throw that ball. I, I mean, you better be 100% sure that your accuracy is, an arm strength is going to make sure that ball is in only in the only place where the receiver can get it. And obviously it wasn't. So that was just a bad decision. Uh, bad throw. I mean, there, there's just no defending it. And like, yes, like no, you and I aren't sitting here trying to act as if the offensive line was great. But like at the end of the day, like w- what does this quarterback need? Like, does he need like this elite, all, all five offensive linemen to be all pros? I think he like, does. I think he he does. He does. I think that's the that's the unfortunate part about where they're at. I think they have a guy who, as a veteran, is a developmental guy. And that's the price you pay when you go down this route. You know, the, these are situations where, I mean, we saw the Elf Line day one signing. We saw the, you know, the, the Irving signing. And, and no moves were made after that that made me comfortable about where they were at. Matt Rule talked about this being the, quote, I-85 offensive line, a reference to Interstate 85 always being under construction around around the corner here. And it's just an endless process. Deontay Brown, sixth-round pick. Trey Smith, sixth-round pick. One is playing at a high level. The other is not playing at all. I talked to a scout today that's questioning that decision. I mean, he's saying right now, it can't hurt. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know why you don't put Brown in. It can't get worse. So, again, I don't know all the inner workings of why a guy like Brown isn't playing inside. But, man, Miller has regressed tremendously, and it looked even worse without Moten out there protecting him on the right side. Christensen's a rookie. He wasn't great. Moten was not comfortable at all. I mean, Duke Merriweather or Manyweather posted this earlier about moving those guys around. You know, the great offensive line mind there on Twitter who does a great work with offensive linemen, and, and he was spot on. And I'll be honest with you. I was very open to the idea of moving Moten around a little bit, and I, I sort of regret it after looking at the tape. He is certainly not comfortable out there. Yeah, no, I mean, he's played right tackle since he was like 14 years old when he started playing football. He's playing the right side. I think he played some right guard. But, like, it, it just it takes your timing, like, completely off, and you're just – you don't know how to commu- – you're not – you have zero communication skills with the with the left guard and the center at that point, and it's just like the footwork is wrong, and – like why why is he even like working on that side like he he's a dominant right tackle why are we taking practice snaps away so we can go on the left side it, it's just it's just a stunning lack of uh just common sense in my opinion like why don't you give those developmental reps to christensen i would and I, I on the left side just tr- have him maybe like prepared to play that side. Some people but... who have scouted him in college have told me firsthand, Billy, and we've had this conversation that there's, there's a, there's an odd sense of what they're doing with him right now on that right side. And why not keep him over there on that left side? I, I don't know. I don't follow Matt rules pressers as much as I should. I might be attending a few down the road. I, if, although if this critique keeps up, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm not going to hide how I feel about it. it. Has has Matt indicated that there's an arm size issue and that's part of the rationale behind the left tackle deal? 
with Christians? I, is, is I haven't heard anything, anything about, about that. that. Okay. I just, I haven't heard. I mean, yeah, he has short things. arms. He has short arms. You know who else has short arms? Rashawn Slater. Rashawn Slater. Yeah. They all have short arms. All, all these tackles this year, all the premium tackles, it seemed. I don't know about Darisol. He seemed a little bigger. I don't know what his arm size was. But, yeah, the, the short arm thing, I think, is a little bit foolish. I just think you play guys where they're comfortable. Um, to do uh, many weathers, you know, tweet earlier, it, it gets back to, uh, and you've made this point before Duke did, and I, I should have heeded your advice. You know, look, you, you got a guy who's played right tackle for forever in Moten. He's very good there. Um, don't 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 screw around with that. And I just think, you know, Philadelphia again, they they did what they had to do. The Cox, I think, w- was better schemed in this game. I know we heard some things about Cox's uh, Fletcher Cox, that is not being particularly happy or, or some people not being happy about how he was being schemed in that defense, but they just lined up in four man rush and you had him at three tech and they were running a lot of ET stuff. And it, it was a good game plan taking a line that had not gelled whatsoever with this new rotation and, and putting them in conflict. I just, I, I really have nothing more to add to that situation. I just think the offensive line and, and to me, it's like, is he trying to like deflect from those two offensive line signings that it was someone else's fault? Like you hired this offensive line coach, like you were in all the meetings with when the, in this general manager search. So, so this is supposed to be some collaborative process. And if you're taking, if you're trying to be serious about, you know, building a team that's tough through the, through the trenches. Well, I'll tell you this, your offensive line is soft. My friend, it is soft. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Moen aside, I just I don't see anything from this offensive line that would suggest to me that you can build a foundational culture built in the trenches. Like right now, the only identity I see on offense is you, you maybe have some finesse game in the past when in the past game when McCaffrey's healthy with him more and Anderson and Marshall. But if you're trying to be a hard nosed, tough football team and really, you know make sure like people understand that you know the trenches are where you're going to win ball games and i've seen no indication that this offensive line can take you there they and don't have you physicality. as they don't have physicality up front billy not enough of it and with the back situation and I, and I guess my question is why should i why should we trust them to get it right trust but verify that's what i would say i mean look no assumptions are made from my end as to anything being successful until we see a protracted period of time here where there's results. You mentioned this on our last episode when, when I was feeling a little more optimistic about where this team was. And I think a lot of that came from how they sort of battled back against Dallas after the, the blunders. But again, you made the point that last year, you know, they were three and two and they had gone on a skid. And they won three in a row at one point last year. So, again, a three-game winning streak, a lot of good teams have three-game winning streaks, and it propels them. A lot of bad teams have them, and they can't sustain it. I just don't – it's a very imbalanced team, Billy. It's, it's an odd one because defensively – and, when, you know, we're not going to harp on the defense other than just, just praise Phil Snow and this entire unit for what they're doing. You can clean a few things up, but they did. They were better in the red zone overall yesterday. They were 50%, and they were better – in terms of taking the ball away. So that's improvement. Other than that, they're doing a great job across the board. That's tremendous growth. They couldn't get teams off the field last year at one point. 
like three straight games. They couldn't force a punt, I think. So there's growth there, and there are young players shining and playing at a high level. Offensively, it, 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 I, I can't just blanket blame Joe Brady because, number you know, we, I had a conversation, you and I both, with, with Greg Cosell about Matt Rule. And this, this is what stuck with me a little bit about that conversation. Greg knows Matt pretty well, and he mentioned Matt's wanting to be physical and run the ball. And Matt talks about that a lot. And I just think it runs counter to some of their personnel decisions they've made in terms of the type of lineman they signed. 100%. The skill level they signed. Elf line is, is a, it, it just not it. And he's on the shelf now. Daly is not it. He's a versatile guy. He's a swing tackle, but he's not an everyday starter at guard. He can't hold up. He's not quick enough. He's not strong enough. He's not built for it. Uh, Paradis is average. I think he does okay. I'm sure he's a part of, uh, you know, making the calls up front, and that's critical. But he's certainly not anywhere near Pro Bowl level, and that's something that they're used to around here for a while with, you know, Khalil. So those are hard to find. I get it. At right guard, Miller was a journeyman, looked decent last year, looks terrible right now. Um, I've seen guys like Mitchell Schwartz talk about this online, about, you know, people who haven't played offensive line, not fully understanding how difficult it is to evaluate it. So I'm careful not to be too critical about certain aspects. But when you can identify individual flaws there and guys who don't have the physicality to match up, Moten is, is light years ahead at right tackle uh, 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 as opposed to anything they've trotted at left tackle in terms of his functional strength in terms of his pass blocking, the ability to anchor on the right side, and then his ability to hustle and finish plays. He has great effort. There was a screen pass yesterday they ran outside, um, or I think it was last week, in fact, um, and there was just a complete lack of urgency from the blockers downfield. So again, you have to have guys that are willing to, to, to go the distance, that can hold up, that are well-conditioned. And then as far as the running backs go, they don't have the physicality there either. I like Hubbard. He played well. He did a decent job. Once he learns to stop tackling himself, I think he'll be great. But he's just, he is not going to get you those second chance yards. He's just not. He's got good vision at times. He makes good cuts. But man, when he gets hit, he goes down like a rock. And so I just think from a physicality standpoint, it, with McCaffrey out, and even when he's in, their most physical option down inside the five is Sam Darnold, and that says something. Yeah, no, it, it's just very disappointing. Um, yeah, I mean, Hubbard, he looked good, and I think, again, that, that just goes to the coaching because uh, last week I said that their best runs um, when Hubbard was in the game against Dallas, it came from the right side. A lot of those sweeps, when he has a lane, he can really right. attack it really well. Same thing this week, but this time it came on the left side. And you saw those holes like outside the left tackle. And, and so for, for me, they're utilizing their run concepts very well because they're playing to uh, their player strengths. And all of this talk about Robbie Anderson just being one dimensional and only running one route or whatever it is based on his alignment is completely false. Garbage. I, I don't know why that Eagles defender said that. Maybe he's just you know, he was in the game and he, he was expecting it based on some type of alignment. But the idea that Robbie is like this one trick pony wow. is, is just flat out not true. I will say, yes, maybe they should have taken some shots down the field, a double move, but it's very, one thing to keep in mind is running a double move against cover two. Like it's, it's not as useful as people think. No, like, it's not. yeah, you, you get past like the first corner, but you have split field safeties. So that safety is already over the top. This is without me watching the film. I'm just trying to explain a conceptual level why 
running double moves that everyone wants Robbie Anderson to run is probably not the smartest idea uh, against this cover two defense. So uh, that's just kind of like where I am. I mean, offensively, man, I, I just, I really have, I just think the QB and the interior offensive line, they're holding it back right now. And, and until those things get better than uh, I just, I, I, I see very similar type performances. I mean, man, I, I, I said it yesterday on Twitter. I don't think I've seen a worse game between both starting quarterbacks because Jalen Hurts was also pretty bad. Uh, so well, there was one game. I'll say that it, it, it reminded me of a game. I don't know if you remember this one, Billy. This is back in 2008 when Carolina played at Oakland. Um, I think it was Andrew Walter versus Jake DeLome. And that, that, that kind of reminded me of that game in terms of just some real bad quarterbacking on both sides. And, you know, Look, I think Jalen did a nice job late, uh, but early in that game, he was just, they were clamping down in terms of coverage and, and they were getting adequate pressure to put him in conflict. And as you mentioned pregame, you know, if you give him a little bit of reason to be conflicted in the pocket um, and he bails, then he has a bit of a hard time being efficient. And uh, I mean, it, like I said, in the first half, there was one point where he was upwards of 20 attempts for less than 50 yards that's stellar defense against any quarterback. But, yeah, it was depressing. Um, I'll say this, you know, part, part of why I appreciate um, Sam and what one thing I did like coming in is, and I, I anticipated maybe a little more success here, was his frame, his vision, his ability to sort of withstand a little bit of this pressure. And I think there were some throws like in that Houston game, even in the Dallas game where he stood tall, stood tough, and made some good throws. But overall, it gets back to what we talked about with Cosell, and he's been on this for, for several years now, just the fundamental stuff, even when there's no pressure. You know, let's talk about the play, Billy, where everybody's shitting on Robbie. The sprint protection at the end of the game, or near the four-minute mark, uh, on a third and short, where, you know, Robbie runs a terrific little hop route, cuts it outside right at the sticks. He's actually a little past the sticks, in great position, great leverage on the corner and the slot there. And uh, Sam has the best throwing lane he'll ever see in his life. And again, you can critique footwork all you want. I'm not a quarterback expert, but he looked a little bit haywire with the one foot up, the one foot, you know, on the ground, and he just misfired it. And for that to be considered a, a bad play by Robbie by any standard, by any measure, is absolutely flawed analysis, and it should not be considered. Robbie is getting open. Robbie is doing his job. Can they do some things to maybe get him a little more involved in the quick game? Perhaps. Should you run double moves when you can't hold up against a four-man rush with cover two shell? No, you should not. I agree with that. But overall, I'm, I'm not in the anti-Robbie camp. I can't be because I see the tape. You've shown plenty of clips. There's the Dallas play, you know, a couple weeks ago where he was open down the boundary and, and Sam just missed it. And there were other plays including Dan Arnold on that post there at Houston where he completely didn't see it. So you've been on top of it, man. The processing with Sam is just an uphill battle, and I don't know if that's an easy fix. Panthers fans, football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet for Panthers tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge it, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? Well, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another site, 
TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. Look, there's storylines all over the place for the Panthers this year at Bank of America Stadium. Between the offense clicking, the defense playing lights out, be there to see it all. Visit TickPick.com Roar today and use the promo code Roar to save $10 on your first order of Panthers tickets. That's TickPick.com Roar, promo code Roar. You either have this feel or you don't. I mean, this is his fourth year. Maybe he gets better at it as the season goes on. But, like, I'm at the point where it's just, like, this is maybe just who he is, and we have to take that. I mean, what was the play yesterday when uh, Anderson was open deep, but, you know, Avante Maddox was kind of able to recover and break on that ball? Yeah. Uh, If you were listening to the broadcast, uh, Greg Olson said that that ball was uh, inaccurate. It should have been thrown, like, near the hashes and numbers, but it was too much inside. Uh, but Anderson was open deep, and but you know Maddox did a good job of recovering and broke it up. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean that that and, you know that that's a tough throw. Go ahead, Billy. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, I, I was just sorry. I just had a little oh, cough in my throat there. A so. little auditory hiccup there. Yeah. <laughs> Finish your thoughts, sir. No, so to me, I mean, even that one throw, everyone is harping on uh where everyone seems to be laying at Robbie but uh Joe Person he was asking Matt quite a bit of questions on this he did a really good job yeah uh yesterday he said his his response today um I'm gonna read you some of Person's quotes okay Mm -hmm. yesterday Joe wrote that the past could have been better correct Mm -hmm. he said that because I think you posted something on Twitter too yeah, and Joe's write up. He he asked uh, Matt directly. I don't know. I don't know if Joe asked the question, but Joe, I didn't see the presser, but I know Joe documented this in his article that Matt did mention. I don't have the quote in front of me, but, but the paraphrasing here that that Matt did clearly say that the throw what was left something to be desired. It needed to be better. Okay, so his response yesterday was different. Today he said that yeah, the pass could have been better, but Anderson, excuse me, Anderson also needs to make a play. Yeah, I mean, I heard you've, watched, you've watched that clip many times. What What is your general thoughts? Do you really think he could have dove do for it? Because I thought he he stretched out. It looked like to me. Are you talking about the four minute play, the the sprint protection there, where they ran the? You're talking about that one, right? Yeah, no, that was yes. a bad ball. That was a bad ball. Robbie had great leverage. He had he had great real estate there to work with. You got to put that on him. There's no reason to to throw a Brett Favre special there. Just get the ball into his hands and you move the chains. Now, look, I don't play quarterback. I don't coach quarterbacks. I know a lot of people that do. I trust a lot of people that do. I've been around a lot of smart people who have played the game, as have you, and and understand this. And I've asked some people throughout the day about that throw, people I trust who work with quarterbacks, college, pro-level quarterbacks, and they agreed with that. That's a throw that's on the quarterback. Now, I get from a messaging perspective, you feel like you need to spread the wealth a little bit in terms of the blame, but – Again, these are pressers. I get it. It's annoying to hear him talk and rail when he he's not being you know completely. I don't I don't the word I don't want to say disingenuous, but he's not telling the whole story here in terms of what happened. His post game presser captured the essence of what happened best, and I think he had some time to think about it. And I just think they're coddling Darnold. I don't like it, and they did this with Teddy for a while too. And I just don't think there's a reason to do that. He's a veteran. He understands he screwed up. He was the first one to say it after the game. So I don't think it's necessary 
to come out in the presser and, and to, 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 to <laughs> he played in New York. He understands what it's like to have his balls busted, Billy. You can go out there and you can say, you know, hey, look, Sam's got to make that throw. It was a little wide. Then maybe we'll do better next time. It is what it is. You don't need to, you know, you slice up the blame or the, or the credit like a pie so everybody feels great about things. I just didn't like the messaging on that, but that's his way of doing things. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, the presser today I thought was a disaster, to put it lightly. I, I just thought, man, the, the taking the shots of the defense thing really just irked me and kind of, you know, I was kind of at a moment this morning, uh, in, or excuse me, at least mid-morning, where I was calmed down a little bit. and But then when I watched that presser, it just really upset me hearing some of the comments about how the defense has to make a stop and all this other nonsense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just I'm looking back at the, the clip you posted, and I, I had a chance to watch some of the pressure, which also included Matt aggressively swatting a flyaway, which I thought was a little bit, you know, moment of levity here, although he didn't look too happy about it. But I think somebody posted to me, this what happens when you play like dog shit, the flies linger. So I was like, okay. But to your point, I mean, look, it, there should be nothing – but praise for the defense publicly from the head coach at that point. I get – Especially after the disaster in Dallas. 
Exactly. Coming a long way from that Dallas game against a good young quarterback with Hurts that can do a lot of things, can do damage against some good receivers that they have out there with Philadelphia against a pretty good offensive line overall. Again, not the best team in the world, but I thought Carolina got back to playing their brand of football defensively, and it was very refreshing to see that. I think that should have been the emphasis. I mean, the superlatives are remarkable when you look at what they're doing defensively. And I, I don't want to get into this game where you look at, well, who have they played and this bullshit. Even when you factor the Dallas game in, I laid out some core metrics. Again, no, nothing too advanced in terms of like, uh, you know, EPA stuff and all that, but just basic metrics that, that are carrying them right now in terms of defense. Drives ending in a turnover for the season. They were 21st in the league at 8.5% coming into that game. Yesterday, 20% of the drives ended in a turnover. That would put them at the top of the league. Defense, scoring percentage, drives that end in a score. They're third in the league at 25%. So a quarter of the drives, they are on the field. They're allowing points. Three quarters of those drives, they're either forcing a takeaway or forcing a punt. I, that's just stellar defense, no matter how you slice it. So, especially I mean, this was like after they, he, Matt should be praising that unit. He should be out there saying, "Look, defensively, yes, late there were some things we'd like to clean up, and we will. But overall, they put us in a position to win. I thought their effort was tremendous. I'm proud of you know Phil and the entire group, and we'll try to get better as we move forward. Offensively, we need to do a better job of playing complementary football. That's the way I would have said it. But again, I, I work in the messaging business, and and he doesn't so. There's that. Yeah, no, I, I, I gave you a similar quote that I tweeted. And I said oh, the yeah, same right, thing. Right. I was like, here's what I would say. I would say, if I'm Matt Rule, this is what I would say. And again, I'm not in PR. I'm not a head coach. I don't go through these things. But I, it just came to me like immediately. I was like, our defense played very well. They played to their standards. Obviously, you don't want to give up a late touchdown, but they were uh, put in tough situations. We'll win more games than we lose with that type of defensive performance. Yep. And that's, that's true. Beautiful. I mean, Perfect. you're forced well, three turnovers, a safety, multiple sacks, and you hold them under like 250 yards. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, they did their job, in my opinion. They gave the Panthers a chance to win that game. When you can't score off turnovers, that's on you, not the. Uh, that's on the offense. Well, Excuse I me. credit I credit you for identifying that in the presser, honestly, because I, I think that that clip went a little bit viral here today. And I do think that there are, are, are some in the media here that do a great job of – like Joe, you mentioned, Joe Person is very thorough, and I appreciate that. And, and there's many others as well who do a great – like Josh Klein, some of these guys who are very thorough with their, their analysis. Oh, yeah, I, I, have, I have no issue with the media. But I, and I don't either, not at all. But I think you, to, 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 to your point – when you posted that clip, I think it was a it, it it gave some fans out there some visibility into a, a very contextual piece of audio that does you know again it's not the end of the world if they start winning four or five games in a row we'll forget about it, but it's not the way to message your defense. They played outstanding. You praised them after that game publicly. That's the way you win those guys over. Uh, you talked to enough players at the no, because the thing is, it's like you, you, you I, can I, lose your guys fast if they go downhill now, and that's the type of comments you're making publicly. So I saw Jim Jim Zoki. He was on who first tweeted it, um, and I was following the presser, and I, I I was like, okay, I heard him first, kind of take some shots of the defense. And I was looking at the timeline, and I saw Zoki also tweeted out because he must have been, um, you know, he probably was on the Zoom, so he was tweeting it like 
just before I heard it. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, why is he taking a shot at the defense? And then I tweeted that. I was like, oh, here we go again. He's taking more shots at the defense. Because he tried to do it yesterday, too, a little bit uh, after the game. And then I heard him yesterday, like after that, I heard him say it again, that this wasn't just an offensive loss. You know, the defense deserves responsibility. Uh, because, like, if you have the players that we have, you have to get a stop at the end of the game. And I'm just like, my goodness gracious, do you understand where Philly got the ball? They got the ball at the freaking 27-yard line. And let's yeah. talk about your special teams unit, a guy you decided to retain, Chase Blackburn. Mm-hmm. We've had Blackburn here for the past four or five seasons. Nothing has indicated that this guy knows what he's doing on special teams. Nothing. And, I mean, we had a block. How many block field goals have we had this year? One or two already. And then we had a block yeah. punt yesterday in a crucial situation. Oh, situationally, the, it was a disaster. I, the, I mean, the, the punter has completely, like, just forgotten how to play well. And I'm, I'm watching – uh, don't ask why I, uh, my other TV, I was watching the dolphins and bucks. Cause I, uh, I made a wager on that game. And I'm seeing Polardi out there looking like, you know, the all pro that he was here in Carolina. Yeah. And I'm just like, what is going on with this special teams unit? And then like you said, John, why is DJ Moore returning a punt when Erickson has been doing a pretty good job of it? No idea. What and especially on that surface. Yeah. I have so, no the, so the special teams coordinator to me, um, he deserves, and his unit deserves a lot of criticism just as much as the offense. Uh, because, and like I said at the beginning of the show, defense, no slander. Offense and special teams, I mean, and special teams has been bad the entire year. Uh, uh, so, you know, Matt has really have, he needs to address that because uh, to, to me, these mistakes are comical at this point. Yeah, I think there, it was an up-and-down game for the special teams early on. Look, there was a punt. I know Erickson left drift over his head. I didn't see the tape on that yet, but that gave up quality field position. But overall, he he fought back and played a nice game in the return game and, and got them some some positive gains in, in, in so much as they had field position advantages throughout the game as a result of it. And that, that just gets back to the offensive inefficiency and the ability to capitalize on them. If you look back at – you know, what they did in terms of special teams here, the net punting average for the Eagles. And again, I like the differentials here at times because that tells you a story about field position. Uh, neither team was particularly good in the punting game, but the net for um, Philadelphia was actually pretty solid, 46. Um, that was actually the gross. The gross for Carolina was 32 and a half, and the net was 26 and a half. Um, return yardage, uh, you're talking about, three for 39 on punt returns. That's solid production, Billy. I mean, that's 13 a clip. Um, kickoff returns were, were very good, three for 70. Um, but the, it, it just came down once again to a situation. This is one I want to look on tape a little bit and see what happened. The block punt, again, you know, the, you just, you're, you're in a fourth and, and three situation. Four minutes to go, you're, you're winning the game. You're near midfield. Um, Maybe you go for it there. I, I don't mind the punt so much, but damn, execute. I mean, don't get a punt block there. Do what you have to do to make sure you're in some type of max protection or your your alignment is proper. Um, I'm, I'm coming across that play right now. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of feedback. But, again, yeah, you just – you can't do that. You can't. I mean, Philly at this point, they, they had two guys on the outside on this punt block. Um and they just they, – they flooded the inside, and, and it was a direct lane to Charlton, who did not have a good game, by the way. No, he, he didn't have a good game. I mean, the only guy in special teams that 
uh, deserves to have his head up as Zane Gonzalez. I mean, I guess it's encouraging that a kicker um, looked semi-reliable, but yeah, man, I, I mean, I, I mean, where do we go from here? And I, I just think like, you know, before the season, I kind of tried to keep expectations in check. I know you had um, a little different, uh, you know, maybe win total than I did. I think I had a seven to eight maybe range. And I, I was, think you I had it. I was around nine and a half. I was thinking Yeah, you were around still, like nine I'm or still not or giving up totally. But no, yeah. no, 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 you shouldn't give up. I, I'm just trying to like re-examine the expectations for this team. And I think that's a fair question going forward because you lose a game like this to a team that I don't believe is very good. I just, I, with all due respect to some of the players they have, I just, I don't think they're very good. I mean, they have a coach that's, a, they have a rookie head coach and they're rebuilding. You heard the preview with Andrew DiCecco. He yeah. said that this was a retooling, rebuilding year and you're letting them come into your house and steal a game. I mean, it, it's not like they dominated. They just, they stole it because Carolina lost it. And it, there was just no reason for that. Um, so yeah. to, to me at this point, I, I just want to see, I mean, I'm going to keep saying it every week, John. I, I want to see this head coach grow in game management. I'm sure he's doing a good job Monday to Saturday, game planning and messaging and building a culture, but you can only build a culture so far when, you aren't winning. Yeah. You have to win. And yes, you're three and two right now. You have another home game against an out of uh, division opponent, the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, they're coming off a pretty emotional win. Uh, but I, I don't know. After that, it, I mean, the schedule looks again, these games are where we would judge them because a lot of people were skeptical about this team that three and zero started and their opponents. Uh, but at this point, uh, I mean, those people are looking a lot more uh, correct than than we are. So yeah. it's only going to change. Like uh, those questions will only intensify if you don't win games. And Minnesota presents another opportunity for them to right the ship. I don't really know how to feel about that game right now. I mean, I'm still trying to kind of process uh, what happened yesterday, and I'm gonna obviously rewatch the film like you and post some clips or whatever but to me i just i feel like the expectations should just be in check i know they made some moves which some people characterize as win now i just to me i thought those moves were fine in the grand scheme of things you're just looking for uh to make good deals but at the end of the day john i still think that this team they have a lot of i wouldn't say they have a lot of holes but they have some pretty significant holes and you're already down a second round pick and a third round pick in next year's draft. Yeah. So put they had their work way. cut out for them. Let me put it to you this way. Stefan Gilmore, I thought was a very good move and, and I'm looking forward to watching him play. He's on the plus side of 30. So I don't anticipate this being, you know, a five, six year run of, of great play from him, but you never know. Maybe he, he, he sustains and becomes a Panther. They do a long-term deal. That's to be determined in terms of this year. I know Fitterer mentioned the P word, the playoff word when talking about, you know, this acquisition in the press conference. He didn't say we're going to the playoffs, but he mentioned, you know, down the road, blah, 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 in the playoffs. I think there was even mention of, of J.C. Horn possibly being available for the playoffs. So the P word is getting tossed around a little bit here. And all I've wanted to see from this team, I, I'm not thinking championship. I'm not even thinking playoffs. What I told you from day one and our listeners out there too and folks on Twitter is, look, success to me in year two is, is playing better on both sides 
showing some growth and getting to December with an opportunity to compete with a very tough, you know, schedule, obviously for a playoff berth. That that's the competitive games you need to be in to grow. Unlike last year where you're dicking around in December and you get not every win's important. I get it. A road win is a road win, but that win at Washington, again, what was, and it was very well celebrated in the post-game presser by the coach, but it was a sloppy game and they were fortunate to get up out of there against Dwayne Haskins and, and Heineke late. You'll take a win obviously, but they need to be in a higher competitive situation in December and into January and competing for a playoff berth. It won't be easy. I get it. But here's my concern about this season. And this is where, like you, I'll caution fans out there. I've been very optimistic about the general trend of this team's direction, particularly from the front office. But Gilmore gets inserted into the lineup. You, you tell me in yesterday's game how differently that game goes if Gilmore's in there, with the exception of maybe one play. I don't think the outcome is significantly different. I mean, you could put J.C. Horn back there, too. I don't think it makes a difference. Exactly. And Horn was playing great, particularly in the slot. They were doing a lot of things with him. But I'm optimistic that he can make a long-term impact if he decides to stay. I think it's a good acquisition. I think C.J. was a smart acquisition. I think they got him for, you know, a pretty decent price with Dan Arnold, who obviously they had no interest in utilizing. So, look, I, I like the direction they're heading in in terms of roster building. On the same token, on the flip side of it, they're just so imbalanced and they have so much work to do in two areas that are not easy to fix. And that's left tackle, that's the interior offensive line in terms of pass protection, and that's the quarterback situation. Until they fix those three areas, I don't care how good your defense is, you can't 2,000 Ravens your way into a Super Bowl in the year 2021. The league is structured differently. The rules are different defensively. There's too much strain on the back end in terms of coverage. You can't press like you used to. You can't play physical. So they will defensively wear down. And those numbers will inflate on the bad side defensively if the offense can't sustain and do better. And I'm just sick of hearing, and I'm sorry, the Joe Brady slander. Look, I I get it. People don't like a young offensive coordinator getting opportunities before veteran coaches, whatever. Joe is doing a good job designing a good offense. I just think he needs to understand, and everybody needs to understand, they're very limited right now in three key areas. And I just mentioned them. Quarterback, interior offensive line, and left tackle. And until they fix that, Billy, I I don't expect them to blow the doors off anybody, even teams that they should be. No, but I, I also think like if we're going to want to see growth, we have to see from the head coach and just how he's managing these games because, I mean, this was an issue at Temple and Baylor too, according to some tweets that I've seen. It's just like, again, I want to preface this by saying I'm not asking him to go for and fourth down every single time like that one coach at you know, whatever school it is. Presbyterian. You know, that, man, yeah, Presbyterian. I was football, baby. That. That's right down the road. That PC coach has got some nuts, man. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm not even asking him to do that. I'm not even asking him to be like Steely. I'm yeah. just saying, man, like manage these games. This Staley is what knows you have what he's got. to do. I mean, Staley knows he's got what he needs to play four down football, and that's why he's doing it. And he's very eloquent. No, he, he, he is. But even, okay, l- let me, uh, the team that's playing, both teams that's actually playing tonight, Reich and Harbaugh, they're again, both of them are aggressive. Uh, this Indianapolis offensive line is, is not good. I mean, it's just not, I mean, I know they have Quentin Nelson. He's obviously a stud, but 
their He's left hurt. tackle Fisher is Fisher is hurt yeah. and are still coming back from an injury. He doesn't look like the same player. The other guys in their line, I mean, they're pretty like mediocre. And then the Ravens, I mean, they're they have backups and rookies all over the place in their offensive line. Uh, yes, I understand that having Lamar Jackson in that running game helps, but at the same time, I just I just cannot get on board with this idea that you can't trust your offense. I mean, yes, you can't, but there are. What are we doing in practice? What are they doing in practice? Right. No, I mean, look, injuries happen along every offensive line, and it, it just comes down to the ability to adjust. The ability. Well, can I ask you a question? Sure, go ahead. What does Matt Rule do during the games? Like, what does he do? I'm genuinely curious because I, I know, you know, Fox and Rivera, like, especially Rivera towards the end, he kind of had a little bit of, he was working with the defense here and there. But what exactly is Matt Rule doing on the sidelines besides yell at coaches and players and refs? Let me take you through a history here, and this is relevant to this discussion. So don't just, just hang with me, folks. Look at all the coaches that have been here. Dom Capers was heavily involved defensively with Vic Fangio on the defensive side from the early era. He, he was heavily involved in terms of schematics, in terms of – because his background was the defensive coordinator of the Steelers. So he, he injected himself a little bit. He wasn't necessarily a full CEO type. He did a good job of taking an expansion team, although they had experience in, in running some early stuff uh, with them in terms of scheme and helping the defense grow. And they put the hands of the offense into um, – oh, God, the guy's name I forget. They had an offensive coordinator back then. It wasn't McNally. Um, no, nonetheless, you move on to George Seifert. And I've talked to players who played for Seifert. Seifert was extremely hands-off. Seifert was a very much CEO at the highest level to the point where he turned people off. He did not get involved in game planning. But at the same time, and I've had Luther Broughton tell me this, who played for him uh, in Carolina, Seifert would, you know, with no headset on, by the way, he never wore a headset, which was ridiculous, would get in the middle of a call with Gil Haskell, sending it down and, 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 and veto the call. And communications would be all dicked around and screwed up. That's Seifert. Fox, I think, was very much sort of a CEO. He let Turgovac and Del Rio run those defenses. And he was a great motivator. I think a lot of guys really liked Fox, who played for him. And I think he was a good X's and O's guys defensively. Offensively, he let Dan Henning do his thing. Uh, Rivera, you mentioned him earlier. I think you're spot on there. Matt Rule, wait, I, look, I don't know really, Billy. I, you look at what we talked about. Again, it comes back to conversations we've had with people around the league who know Matt. He, I think, does probably have as much of a control guy that he is. A big-time contract coming into this operation with a lot of say, a lot of power. I have to think a lot of what's coming through his ear from Joe Brady he has a little bit of influence. Perhaps that, you know, leads to some of these late timeouts, the, these opportunities where Carolina is is going up tempo, but then they stop and call a timeout, whatever it might be. Uh, defensively, I think that's Phil's game, and Phil doesn't need any help there. But I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys are CEOs, Billy. They just, you know, like Mike McCarthy is the prime example, I think, of when you talk about this. And I, I, I don't want Rule to go down that road. I don't want him to become known as a guy like McCarthy who just no, I, I agree. Just sits around. Because I like Matt. I, I, I see a lot of positives there. But in terms of what he does, um, I will say this. During camp, I made this point, And this is one thing I like about Matt. Um, and a lot of coaches are like this. It's not exclusive. He's had a lot of experience at every level, coaching every position group. So he was very involved in practice and at camp. 
getting in the trenches and, and coaching situational football. I was impressed by that. I thought the camp moved very, very smooth. I thought their joint practices, at least the one I saw against Baltimore, was very effective. They did a great job running situational stuff, a lot of which we couldn't report on. But I was very impressed with how Matt coached them up there. And there's a lot you can pull from that. But in terms of his involvement on the field, I, I think he very much is like a CEO, like you mentioned. Nothing wrong with that. But you have to be a good CEO. You have to be in charge of what's important. Who's in his ear? I know Carolina has two people on staff that are considered analytics specialists. Now, I don't know if that's the same as quality control used to be. I know Jim Skipper with John Fox was a valuable piece. Deshaun Foster talked about this with us. Skipper was the clock guy. And, and for all the things Fox did wrong, they were great in terms of situational football, clock management, late game stuff. That's why they had so many big comebacks. They were able to manage the two-minute offense highly effectively, and they managed the clock very well overall. And Jim Skipper, the running back coach, was the right-hand man for Fox. He was like the clock coach, basically. So I don't know who that is for Matt now. I don't know what the, what the thinking is there. Um, I even think you, you might be familiar with one of the guys who was in the, like, listed as an analytics staffer for Carolina. I know that they, we, uh, it was at, uh, Seth Walter posted a chart last week listing how many teams have how many analytics staffers. But I think it would be wise, if not so right now, that Matt opens up uh, yeah, to and that's possibly having somebody in his ear that helps him situationally understand the NFL game a little bit because he's new to this. He's new to understanding the clock, the dynamics, the hashes, everything. It's a new game for him. No, I, I agree. And, again, I'm not asking him, like, to, again, go for all these four downs and have an analytics guy. It's just a simple clock management no, and not either. using yeah. your resources, you know, efficiently. And the resources in this case is the clock. The clock is your yeah. resource. I mean, that end of half situation was just completely like bonkers. And the idea that him as a, like he as a head coach, he has a headset on, he has power to veto play calls. And he ha also has power to tell the offensive coordinator what he wants. It's the I, same get the, thing. I get the sense that he does a little bit of that. I actually okay. do. No. And, and yeah, it's the same thing with Rivera when he had Shula on staff, everyone tried to blame Shula for some situational play calls, but Ron Rivera was the same way. He, Rivera wanted to, you know, play conservatively at uh, points in the game, not necessarily all the time, but you know, you don't see Andy Reed or even, you know, watching Harbaugh or some of these like, top of the line coaches. I mean, you have to put your trust in an offense and just figure out ways to create, you know, more creativity, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Like it's just, more there's opportunities. Let's just say that. And this coach it, is squandering it on the game than, management side. It's more than fair what you're saying, Billy. And, and, and look, I, I hate doing this, but I'm going to do it. Okay. And I did this early on when they hired Matt Rule, one of the first things I looked at, and it's, it's Kepper's money. It's, it, I don't care. But, look, right now, I'm looking at this. He, he is the sixth highest paid head coach in the league. He makes as much as McVay, more than Tomlin, who's never had a losing season, more than Andy Reid, more than Bruce Arians. So, in terms of the, the symmetry here, um, I, I get a little annoyed when, when, when fans in particular, and I, there's a certain breed of fans out there who are, are blind faith nut huggers who will not let you ever question anything. And, and you just have to brush that off. But actually smart people out there who I've had conversations with who tend to over defend this coach. Look, this is the NFL. This is, this is a new game. This is a new business. And you're being paid a ton of money 
relative to other very good coaches out there to be at your best in key situations. And I don't want to beat the dead horse on this because I think there are so many things in that game that got away from Carolina besides just the clock management or, you know, not going for it in certain situations. And to your point, I'm with you. It's not just about fourth down conversion opportunities. They've gone for it on fourth down five times this year, by the way. They've been successful three. That's 60%. That's not bad. But um, I just think, you know, look, this is, this is fair criticism. It would be fair criticism. He's making a million a year. But they, they went out of their way to hire a college head coach with a, a college intensive staff. I don't have a big problem with that now. I did it first. I think they've grown. But I still do think there is some growth there for Matt. And I think it's got to speed up a little bit. I think he's got to do a better job managing what I think overall is a very competitive football team and not, as he likes to say, DBO, don't beat ourselves. It starts at the top, Bill. Yeah, no, it, it totally does. And I mean, I, again, John, I, I, that loss yesterday reminded me of so many of the previous regime's losses. It just, it was just striking that deja vu just was, came back and bit them in the butt. And I mean, that's, that's what you deserve. If you don't have that killer instinct in the first three quarters, then yeah, teams are going to beat you. I don't care if they have one win or they have zero wins. And I don't, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, times, Philadelphia, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just saying Philadelphia, they had one win at the time, but they came in here and they stole a game that they should not have won. No, they it's simple as that. They, they played admirably against Kansas City, who obviously, looking back, they have a sieve of a defense and they're, they're in trouble right now to themselves a little bit. Uh, I thought they actually did some pretty decent things once they got their head out of their ass against Dallas late in the game. Hurt showed me some things on tape that I liked. But defensively, like we said, they, they did what they had to do there. There should be zero conversation. It should have been a – if you're not going to praise the defense, to your point early in the podcast, fine, fair enough, I get it. You want to keep them humble, good. Don't go out of your way to bring them up as a factor in the loss. It's completely inappropriate, and it has no place in the conversation. And I respect Matt, but look, that's just – I haven't talked to any players. I, you know, I've got a few guys there that I can talk to and get insights on, and they're going to be tight-lipped about it. But overall, look, I think they probably understand in the building where they're at. These pressures can be misleading, but that, there was nothing misleading about that comment. And look, you, you start losing games, you start sliding a little bit, you start losing confidence from guys in the locker room. That's a universal truth, and uh, it, it's just – it's there's so many things they have to do to get on like a chargers type of level right now. And I, I don't say that lightly because like you said, the roster, and I've said this before, the roster is solid overall, but man, it's imbalanced. And the, the areas where they need to improve are glaring. They have, well, they have, they have good tight end play. Yeah. Good receivers. They have a great defense. I think on the, uh, maybe not great yet. They're very good. They're emerging as a great defense. Is that sustainable? I, I get the sense it is because they've got some horses up front now in a rotation. They've got good back end guys, but man, those positions that we mentioned, they have to improve upon. Those are not easy fixes. And well, they've had opportunities to get guys that could have fixed it. A couple of things. For, firstly, just get back to your point. You just said now about the uh, defense being sustainable. I agree that I think the defense will be fine moving forward, but this is 2021. You cannot rely on a defense to hold opponents no. under 14 or 13 exactly. points. I don't care exactly. who you are. It's, it's, it's just simply not sustainable. More investment needs to be placed on offense because you just, 
you have to score points. You just have to, because again, this is not the John Fox, like NFL or, you know, the, even the 2010s where maybe you can find, you know, a team holding an opponent to under like 13 or 10 points. Exactly. But last year they rode that defense into the playoffs and did great, but they also had Tom Brady, Gronk, Antonio Brown, Godwin Evans. They were able to hold their own offensively. Exactly. Great offensive line as well to boot, including one tackle that Carolina chose not to draft couple years ago i had him as a top five player by the way so this is in hindsight my last point was this think of how much of a joke the chargers game management was under anthony lynn the guy would get roasted weekly for some of the decisions that he made in end of game situations and everyone always made fun of the chargers for losing those close games because of his inability to manage close games and manage the clock in certain situations. Again, I promise you guys, it does not take a rocket scientist to, to go in there and you don't need to have like some type of physical, like, you know, some PhD to know how to manage a game. Brandon, it's not Staley, even analytic. Five, like you said, five it's years ago, it's exactly five years ago, five years ago, Brandon Scaly was coaching at JMU. Now he's the NFL head coach. You know why? Yeah. Because he's just he's acting competently. So yeah. think about it from last year to this year. Anthony Lynn, one of the most – the Chargers were a joke in game management situations. Now they're one of the best. All it took was a head coach to realize, you know, to find those margins, just act normal, and they're the best at it now. So the head coach really needs to look in the mirror and look at himself. The Panthers head coach needs to look himself in the mirror and realize what he's doing wrong on game days and really figure it out how to create margins in that department. Because if not, then, uh, you know, th- this team, I-, I don't see them, you know, going very far. Well, what happens here? And again, working in the media with you, we both understand how this operates, uh, you know, fans. And again, we're not here to tell fans how to fan, do what you want to do. It's fine. But I think it's important that people who listen to us rely on us for a certain amount of analysis, because this is what we do for a living. We, we break things down. And we provide some perspective that I think is very honest, very fair, and for, for the most part, pretty freaking accurate. And I'll say this, you, you, you get three wins under your belt. I, I maintained a little less caution than you, I think, throughout that. And I certainly wasn't watching dog shit, you know, sports talk shows that would hype teams up after week one. It's so early in the season, case in point, the Green Bay Packers week one to where they are now. So you have to really be steady here with your expectations, as you said. This team has holes in critical situations and they have a quarterback they've already picked up a fifth-year option on. They're still paying Teddy Bridgewater money to play efficient football, if not expect spectacular football in Denver. So they're, they're spread, they got money spread all over the place, the quarterback position, and they're getting really very little out of it right now. And it's frustrating. And it's not something I see a lot of hope in for this particular quarterback because Billy, he's not Zach Wilson. He's not in his first few games where teams are just starting to get a feel for who he is. I granted the situation was not ideal, but as Cosell and I think Bone even mentioned this on our pod, they like to focus more on the player rather than the coach or the situation or the drama. So I think fans just need to kind of zone in. If you want, if you, if you want your expectations to be right, choose wisely your content, stick to things. I'm not just saying us. You know, there's a lot of good people out there that do good analysis, mostly here on Twitter. Just, just zone in on people that are doing good, honest content and not overhyping a team after three weeks. Because, look, Super Bowl was kind of getting into the conversation. They make the trade for Gilmore, and then people are talking about, you know, this is a championship type of run they can make. What I said to that was, look, this is the type of move I think you make if you feel like from the building 
in the building, you can make a run at the playoffs. That's where I saw this move. I don't know if they can make that run. I didn't at the time. But obviously, they feel like they can. I, I just – just what I saw yesterday from this quarterback and what I've seen over the last six quarters from this quarterback, couple that with the protection that Martin puts him off his spot. It's the worst formula for Sam to regenerate his career. If you're trying to do that, this was not the situation to do it. You had to know that going in, that he just doesn't have the protection. McCaffrey coming back helps, but still, you throw him into the wolves there against a really bad pass protection offense – you're asking for trouble, especially with the way he plays. Yeah, I'm with you, John. It's one of those games where you look back, and there have been games over the years that have, have mirrored this. I, I think back to a couple in particular um, that, that I don't want to revisit right now in my own mind, where you're in control and things are good, and then you just uh, you, you, you melt down. And it's a collective effort, like Matt said, but uh, you just you have to be honest with yourself and honest with those who cover the team and honest with the fans. These guys who cover the team work really hard on bringing us content and to sit up there and, and to, to dance around what happened yesterday like that, you know, just do better there. I mean, you're paid an enormous amount of money to not only be the coach, but to be a bit of a PR specialist here, head coach. I mean, he's the face of the franchise. That's, I mean, he essentially. Is. He is, and he was made that way by this owner. And, again, it comes all the way back to the top. These are things we're going to find out here, Billy. That's why it's a fascinating journey. Hopefully it'll be a little more fun. But it's not just about wins and losses. That's why I respect doing the show with you because you were able to, during this three-game winning streak, take a closer look when, when we did the back and forth here on our show. Here are some problem areas to look out for. And a lot of that revolved around Darnold's processing and his ability to, to either – hit or miss on certain opportunities and it's coming to light now and it's costing them games. So I just think it's important for fans to understand that, you know, look, the, the social media stuff is cute. I get it. People want to believe fans just want hope, Billy. I mean, you and I want hope too. We want this team to do well, but we're not going to pretend that they're in a great spot all the way around when they're not They're They're still there. They're, they're rebuilding, but they're sort of out of a rebuilding mindset. It's a bit of a half a rebuild. I mean, it's just, the messaging is confusing at times, and I think fans need to understand that when they can come here, it's a safe place. We'll give you the honest deal on how we see it. We, we're not always right, but um, we're, we're very fair, and I think that's what we pride ourselves on here. Minnesota coming up, Billy. I remember we're going to preview this game extensively. What are some initial thoughts on what uh, Mike Zimmer's doing up there? I'm looking at their defense right now. They, they do get a little bit of pressure with Hunter and Griffin and Tomlinson. Remember that game in 2016 where Danelle Hunter had like three sacks and got oh, that safety. Terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think the interior should be better. Uh, Pierce and uh, Tomlinson, they're more of like run defenders, like against the run. I don't know. I, I just feel like they're, um, I, I just, I don't feel like they have the type of uh, pass rushing skills that we saw yesterday. Yeah. So maybe the interior does better, uh, but yes, Hunter and uh, I think Everett and Griffin is having a pretty solid year too. I mean, those are going to be those are going to be issues. I just think like it's going to come down to the offensive and defensive lines. I think Carolina's defensive line should have a decent day, but I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like every time we play the Vikings, it turns into such a colossal mess. I mean. Something last season was just one of the most inexplicable games 
And I'm talking about, I thought yesterday was inexplicable. Last year against the Vikings was just a comedy of just errors um, from a game management perspective, throwing that ball in third and goal. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I mean, it. I remember that 16 game and that was bad. The 17 game was a little better, even though they, they tried to piss that one away with the Newton interception on the uh, Texas route to McCaffrey. And then Phelan had that late touchdown. And, and Cam, of course, with that famous run on the, the read option, breaking Sandejo's ankles. Uh, it's always fun to play Minnesota. Um, it's always fun to play Mike Zimmer team because he's, he's a competitive guy. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it has not always been pretty. And that, that loss still lingers from last year. I keep thinking back to how – and they, it's just like the Eagles game. They had a control. They were, they were in control of that game. They were right where they needed to be. And, yeah, um, and they had, what, two like, defensive and, touchdowns? Two defensive touchdowns on consecutive plays. And, and again – they outscored – Jeremy Chen outscored the offense. I mean, you know, it's got to be better this week. That's for sure. Yeah, man. I, I, I mean, this is going to be another tough opponent. I, they're definitely better than the Eagles. So, I mean, you have that going. And I mentioned it before the game last week, man, like that the that – the, or excuse me, I mentioned it yesterday that the spread came down from four and a half to three. Yeah. Uh, so, that, I mean, those Sharps, I mean, they get kind of fortunate you know, winning the, that – winning that bet, but this week it looks like no one's they've kind of jumped off the Panthers bandwagon. It looks like they're only a, a pick 'em at home. Yeah. Um they got uh Minnesota one o'clock game on Sunday and then of course you look down the road a little bit, which we typically don't do. The Giants are really in a bad spot right now in terms of their injuries, and uh, that that should be a, the type of game that Carolina wins. I I'm, I I refuse to be optimistic about this offense. Yeah. For the rest of the season. I am sorry. I tried to do it last week. Yeah. I tried to give them the benefit of the doubt and it just blew up in my face. So for me, I will just present reasons as to where the team um, could potentially exploit them, but I will not be confident in this offense moving forward. I just, I can't do it. After, I, mean, I got burned in yesterday's game, just completely like it tanked me. Yeah, and it's a fluid league, Bill. You know, I think things are never symmetrical in terms of like the Giants game I just mentioned should be a win. Well, that's an overstatement on my part because these are the type of things that happen in the league. You end up sneaking out a win against an exceptional team once in a while, and then you tank one against a really uh, substandard team. It's hard to say. You know, I say the Falcons, you know, you mentioned this is a team that could rally from their slow start, and look where they are now. I mean, they're, they're on the move. They're playing good football, and Carolina will face them in Atlanta on, th- on the Halloween night or Halloween afternoon, rather, and then the Pats come to town. So there's some interesting games coming up here. Um, the NFC, you know, look, it's competitive. I just think, you know, it's a one-game-at-a-time thing. Let's focus on Minnesota and uh, see where Sam and this offensive line uh, can do better. I, I just think the defense will be okay throughout the season. It was uh, an unfortunate bit of a hiccup against Dallas. But once again, they, they, they did some good things there to kind of keep it in in play and then the two turnovers did not help the defense at all so again um until sam demonstrates the ability to play at a higher level on top of some of the challenges in front of him as a quarterback that's what you ask for these guys to do um a franchise quarterback i just would not have a great deal of optimism in terms of his long-term future here because you know pepper's gonna the guy's guy wants to win he's been here since 18 he, he's going to continue to shop around with Fitter, and they're going to try to find somebody if it's not Sam. So we'll see. I, I just will we'll say once again, these are things that aren't easy to fix. So just as fans, just 
had the right expectation. Pissed off all you want. I get it. It's good to vent. I love venting. Hell, we're venting now. But understand that this Panthers team is going to have a hard time probably scoring a lot of points from game to game. They're just not equipped to do it right now. Um, even when McCaffrey comes back, I don't think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a helpful thing, but it's not going to make a huge difference in the world. Um, I, I do think – I agree. I agree with that, actually. Maybe not the – it's not going to be a huge difference, but I, I agree that it will make, you know, some – it should help at least. And if it doesn't, then my goodness. I mean, you shouldn't have to, you know – you would ideally like to be in a situation where your quarterback is healthy – and your running back goes down, and the world doesn't end. I mean, that's kind of where you'd like to be. Um, but that's not the structure of this offense contractually right now. They have a lot of money invested in Christian. I've heard fans last night. I jumped on a, a, a little fun chat on Twitter. Where, the town hall? Yeah, it was a blast. I, I, I didn't talk a lot, but when I did, I tried to spit a little truth there. And then people were they, – they were just all over trading McCaffrey. And I said, folks, 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 look at the, the contract. It's not happening. They can't do it this year. They can't do it next year. Okay, 23, possibly. It looks like they have a bit of an out. But I, I wouldn't even entertain that at this point because of the cap ramifications. And he's a valuable player. They just – I think to that point, again, my last thought on this podcast here is when McCaffrey comes back, I don't know how you feel about the workload. But, again, the 30 touches thing, I think they need to manage that a little bit. And that's the thing, John. It's like – when you have this quarterback that just isn't reading the field very efficiently, he's just going to roll right to McCaffrey and give him the touches. And that's going to increase his workload unnecessarily. Then he gets, I mean, the, all these turf surfaces certainly don't help either. So then they're playing you're gonna have those, turf every week. <laughs> you're going to have those soft tissue injuries. I mean, that's just the way turf, it is. Look, turf this week, turf this past game, turf the past two games, I know the Texans, I think they have grass, I think. No, they have turf. No, they have turf. Turf, turf, turf. It's been all turf. Holy crap. They haven't played on grass all year, have they? No, I think their first game on grass is at Miami Thanksgiving weekend. That's nuts. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I think the Cardinals might have grass. but Oh, yeah, you're right. They do, actually. But the Cardinals are very good right now, so that's a different story. Um, and they will make minced meat defensively out of, of Sam if they're not careful. Anyway, Billy, always fun, man. Enjoy the chat, and uh, let's do it again this week. Yeah, for sure. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this uh, extended version, like hour and a half. This is a good session, Billy. I liked it. Hour and a half edition of the Roar Podcast coming up later in this week. We'll uh, try to squeeze in a special guest to preview the Vikings with Billy Marshall and his weekly chats with uh, the opposition there. And uh, I'll give you some of my analysis and much more. Don't forget to join us on Twitter Spaces pregame. As always, we're having a blast with you guys. And uh, Billy and I will try to maybe squeeze out a few more projects down the road. You never know. For Billy Marshall, John Ellis, thanks for listening to the Roar right here on Blue Wire. Have a good night.